You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. Welcome to episode number 44 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website, StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at facebook.com slash swbeyondfilms, which is also our Twitter and email, as you'll hear at the end of the show. But enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I am one of your hosts, Nathan P. Butler. With me, as always, my stalwart companion, the defender of the EU, and the man with a voice like the creatures we're going to be discussing in this episode, apparently, Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, Mark. Whistler. Come on, it's not that bad, is it? I mean, okay, it, it's pretty bad. I, uh, I've i been playing a zombie in the haunted house down here that I've been uh, doing. We call it Zompocalypse. And uh, last night they gave me a microphone and I had a nice big old amplifier and I was just living it up, man. I was, help, get me out of the wall. I mean, granted, I was, you know, terrified, you know, mommy, let me out of here kind of stuff. Oh, it was great. But it went all night. We had a line that was about, oh, 30 people deep from 7.30 all the way to 10 after our lunch break. It was like, we got back from lunch and it was just go, go, go. And uh, this morning I woke up and it was like, gone. I'm like, oh man. So all this, all day I've been just sipping on water, drinking uh, hot tea and gargling some salt water and just, man, hoping and babying this thing. But you know, this episode is one I'm really pumped about. So come heck or high water, we're here. That is right. That is right. We got an interesting topic this time, just in time for Halloween. So to kick us off, Mark, what are we talking about this episode? Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we creep around the topic of zombies in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. We'll cover some classic examples of reanimation, as well as the two most recent novelizations dealing with everyone's favorite undead, Red Harvest and Death Troopers. So, consider this your spoiler warning, because here we go. It's like the voice of the guy from Thriller. Uh, <laughs> was that Vincent Price, I guess? Um... Now, to start off here, let me just kind of give you the, the, the framework in which I am working. I am a huge fan of zombie stuff when it is done right, and I like different takes on zombies. Uh, I spent a big chunk of either last summer or two summers ago, heck if I remember, I went through and read the entire run of the Walking Dead comic and because I had started to get into the show. So I went through and read the entire Walking Dead comic. I've been a loyal reader ever since then. There are 100-plus issues right now. Uh, watch the television series, play the Telltale video game of that. Big fan of the Resident Evil franchise, having played pretty much all the mainstream and some of the side games, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3, Code Veronica, 4, 5, 6, most recently just finished that the other day, uh, Umbrella Chronicles, Dark Side Chronicles, like to read books, like uh, I think it's John Marbury or something Marbury uh, has a book out there called Patient Zero that was really good, sort of a what-if terrorist got their hands on it, sort of blending modern-age war on terrorism stuff with zombies. And I think it's one of those topics that because there are so many ways you can approach it and so many different scenarios you can put it in, it makes for something pretty cool and pretty entertaining if you're into that sort of thing. And Star Wars was something that had dabbled in zombies before, 
but really hadn't done a lot in the realm of adult horror. So they bring in Joe Schreiber, and he does the first Star Wars adult horror novel, Death Troopers, very, very hyped up at the time, and then a quasi-prequel to it, which of course is Red Harvest, originally known in the planning stages as Black Orchid. So we're going to be dealing with a little bit of the non-Schreiber zombie stuff in Star Wars, and then focus down specifically on Schreiber's two entries into the saga. I'm I'm right there with you when it comes to zombie stuff. That's one of the very few horror franchises that always has scared the ever living heck out of me. I mean, I would have nightmares for weeks about zombies chasing me. Uh, read Read The Walking Dead when I was working in a green light environment, so that was kind of interesting for me. Uh, you know, I I love zombie stuff. The book The Rising, it was a very interesting take on it. Uh, you know, that that black hole thing that they're experimenting with over in like Switzerland or something like that. Well, in the book, they did that and it opened a, a gateway to another dimension where these kind of like they were like before angels kind of things. They're before demons and they were worse than demons and, and God supposedly put them there and they came through and they could only reanimate the dead. It was crazy because they could only have whatever you know, the body was they had. So if they got a general, they, that zombie was the mind of a general. If it was a baby, it couldn't get out of its car seat. If it was a tiger, it could try to talk, but it couldn't talk. Cause it had, it was a, a crazy book, but it gave me an appreciation for zombie stuff in general. And when, you know, just to touch on death troopers, I mean, a lot of people complained about the fact that Han and, and Chewie were in there, but like I had said, and I've said before on the show, you know, if you've read a zombie book, very, very rarely does anyone survive. I mean, just to have those two in there for me was like, okay, this is the readers out because they were dabbling in something new, something that people weren't really sure was going to fly. And, and, you know, as you said, Nathan, it was aimed for adults, but I, I really feel like Han and Chewie were there for those kids that were kind of, you know, you know, dabbling into the dark side of reading. Yeah, as we get into the stuff with Schreiber here, I think, I mean, I guess I can sort of give my, my, my opening comment on it. We'll deal with it more specifically later on. But that to me, yes, it's the out, but it's a lazy out to me. Uh, when I look at horror movies, horror books, I want to see something where the fate of the characters isn't known. Uh, one of my other favorite franchises, especially in video games, but I do read the comics and the novels and whatnot, and I've seen the films, is Dead Space. And the thing about Dead Space is you don't know what's going to happen to the characters by the end. Heck, Dead Space Extraction, multiple characters that you play as through points in the game wind up dying or wind up somehow mutilated by the end of the game. Uh, part of what makes a story like this so cool is that there's always that sense of peril to everyone. And we get that with Red Harvest. Because none of those characters were characters that we had ever really met before. And it's taking place in an era that, granted, while that era is being explored within the Old Republic video game and other tie-in novels, from the standpoint of when this was written, it hadn't been explored all that much. And it's in an era just eight years after the Treaty of Coruscant, which actually causes a continuity error because they refer to the Jedi Temple, which has been devastated at this point already. Um, but that one gives you a lot of peril because... There's a lot of freedom to kill off characters, maim characters, and, you know, if a character doesn't do anything after the end of the story, fine, no big deal. But then you got something like Death Troopers, and they do the same thing when they deal with stuff like the, uh, the brain worms and such on Geonosis in The Clone Wars, for instance, which is that if you've got a main character of a saga who is in this series, whether we know that they're going to be showing up in something else later or not, uh, 
it's just one of those things that kind of say, oh, well, of course that character won't be killed. It's like Star Trek. You know, you send the away team down to the planet, and whoever's wearing the red shirt in the classics, and oftentimes a yellow shirt or a gold shirt in Next Generation, they're going to be the one to die because they're the one-off character. They're the one that's not listed in the opening credits. And here we've got Han and Chewie. As soon as they appeared in the book, I was like, oh, really? Are you kidding me? It was just kind of like, wow. There goes any sense of peril, and whoever is around them almost gets put into sort of a shield with them as long as they're needed to make sure that Han and Chewie get out alive. I would have much preferred Death Troopers to be a book that left out any known characters. Or if it had known characters, make them brief cameos. You know, like make this perhaps a book that somehow crossed paths with Han and Chewie sometime during their time in the other books that they're in, the, the Crispin books and the Daily books, which is sort of what they did here. But have them go along on their merry little way, not realizing what's going on, and maybe have that be a chance at escape that is missed because Han and Chewie don't realize what they're seeing. Don't bring them into the story in full because, yeah, it gives us a connection to it. Yeah, it makes it feel like Star Wars, but it's like any other time that they do that sort of thing where it's uh, like like uh, Agent of the Empire bringing in Han and Chewie at the very beginning. See? See? It's Star Wars. Remember? Remember? Or like the Clone Wars. See? It's Star Wars. Remember? Remember? See? We've dropped a line from the films over and over again. You know, I've got a bad feeling about this. See? We've seen the movies, too. Between <laughs> that feeling and the fact that it eliminates much of the peril, I really dislike the fact that Schreiber bothered to bring in Han and Chewie for Death Troopers. I think it lessens what that book could have been, and I think it's something he fixed and did right with Red Harvest by getting rid of the pre-existing characters. I'm I'm very much uh, a critical of Death Troopers for that specific point. Overall, it was a fun ride, but that really marred it for me, it, big time. I mean, I could see where you're coming from. I, I will say, though, for one, one character-building experience for Han, no wonder he drops the spice at the first sight of seeing an Imperial Star Destroyer. I mean, you know, after that, I would, too. I would be like, forget this. You know, another thing, though, that really ticked me off about their adding Han and Chewie to the story is the way it ends. The fact that they don't have the Falcon, that really, it, it, they left it wide open. It's never touched on again. I'm like, I couldn't believe that they'd actually end a book like that. So it's like, you know, how you've got your complaint about them being there. It's like, add that to it. It's kind of like, wow, you could have cut that out and had a lot better ending in a way. Perhaps this really isn't Han and Chewie. Maybe it's Han and Chewie, and they're actually just clones or something like that, and they're going to disintegrate or something after escaping, so we don't have to worry about them getting the funk, and the real Han and Chewie are out there actually having their normal adventures. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of reanimation, there's one thing I noticed when I was actually pulling the, sh uh, the show notes together. There's actually a lot of zombification going on in my EU. I mean, there's reanimation when they when they term it like that i mean you see quite a few characters who have brought other people back or who have been brought back for this that and the other thing i mean we we've had similar kind of things with the uh Korriban zombies and the dark side that goes along there we've saw asajj ventress uh raise gungan dead in uh, the new face of war uh, you know, we've, we've also had, uh, I believe Darth Bane went up against some techno zombies in one of the, uh, Bane books. I believe it was rule two. It could have been the third one. And then we've also got like the Rackle plague, which is, you know, kind of like zombies, but not, I mean, it's almost like a vampire slash turn into a mutant kind of thing, but it always reminded me of zombies when I was playing KOTOR, man, that always creeped me out going down in those little tunnels. Yeah. They've got a lot of different ones, but a lot of times what I'm finding is it's not really zombies, for instance, you've got the so-called zombies in City of the Dead, 
which is one of the books of Galaxy of Fear, you know, with Mammon Hool and Zack and Tasha Randa in it. And on that case, they're on the planet Necropolis. It looks like they're actual zombies, but you got that level of, well, maybe, maybe not, because there's the Project Starscream thing that's going on in the background, where there's all these sinister experiments that are sort of the backbone of Galaxy of Fear. So there's questions as to whether or not that actually does turn out to be something you'd classify as zombies. you got the brainworm thing that's going on in uh, the Geonosis arc of the Clone Wars. You've got uh, quasi-zombies, that Planet of the Dead comic that they really re-released as a sort of a Halloween special story, where it's basically Han and Chewie, I believe it was, on a planet yeah. uh, with zombie creatures. Um, that one's it was at least somewhat like, true. kind of like spirits, too. Yeah, I mean, like was, spirit was, zombies, ghost It zombies. was like the zombies came up, but they were spiritly attached to the wreck and how they didn't land on the planet. Han and Chewie, they laid out like some lights and got the ghost ship to land, and thus the zombies disappeared. It was It was like a melding of spirits and zombies. It was weird. Yeah, I'll say the the only time outside of, say, Red Harvest and maybe a little bit in Death Troopers that it really seemed as though the way Star Wars dealt with zombies did it in a really sort of creepy way that seems to have got the effect that they wanted to get out of it was actually, oddly enough, a Lucas, uh, in this case, Katie Lucas and George Lucas creation, which was in the last season of The Clone Wars during that four-episode uh, final arc that was later released as that separate DVD set, which has now been sort of overridden by the director's cuts on the Blu-ray set, etc., 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 where we had Massacre, where General Grievous and the Separatists come down to wipe out the witches of the Night Sister clan that's led by Mother Talzin, and in the process, Talzin has old Daka, uh, the, the old creepy lady, essentially resurrect Night Sister dead. And these are straight up force revived zombies you know they are actual dead brought back to life as opposed to being something like oh well there's a worm parasite that's infecting the brain i mean i think this is the, the same complaint that was leveled a lot against some of the later resident evils because once you get to about resident evil 4 it stops being regular g virus t virus zombies and you get these parasites called las plagas and they are what are turning people into basically zombies. And they get sort of a hybrid of zombie plus that as the Ouroboros creatures in Resident Evil 5. Now 6, the new one, has a combination. Depending on where you are in the game, you're fighting either regular zombies or you're fighting against these Juabo that are essentially zombie-like beings that can mutate into these other creatures and whatnot. Um, and there's a lot of criticism that, well, those aren't zombies. If you're talking about parasites, that's not a real zombie. A zombie is not defined by what it does. It's defined by what you said, which is essentially resurrecting someone or something that's dead. And Star Wars a lot of times has, has split on that line. Lots of those other instances of so-called zombies haven't actually been dead reanimated so much as uh, someone being essentially controlled almost like a puppet whether the body is dead or not it's not the the being reanimated it's something controlling its nervous system or whatnot whereas here at least we've got straight up actual zombies in the clone wars and in uh, schreiber's couple of books here so i don't know it's it's like they've dabbled in it but they didn't want to go all the way and with schreiber they finally did go all the way and then they did the same in massacre i'll have to agree with that 100 percent actually now Again, when I was doing the research for these show notes, I came up with some interesting stuff, mainly from Star Wars Galaxies. We have uh, Star Wars Galaxies and Empire Divided and Star Wars Galaxy Witches of Dathomir. <laughs> Go figure. And in that, one of them was the Black Wing Crystal. 
Uh, and it was an unusual lightsaber crystal. Uh, when used in a lightsaber, it produced a dark, smoky ash blade. And it talks about how there was once a collection of these crystals in the caves of the quarantine zone on Dathomir and guarded by an undead rancor. It says these crystals may have been a product of the Imperial Bioweapons Project 1I71A, codenamed Blackwing. Now, then it goes on, and I was checking out the undead rancor because I was just following some links there on the Wikipedia. And it says the undead rancor was a large ball rancor that could be found in the caves of the quarantine zone of Dathmer. It was mutated by Imperial Bioweapons Project I-71A, codenamed Blackwing. And it was guarding those Blackwing crystals. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because, I mean, really Schreiber's the only one that gives us the stuff. And, and, and we'll talk about it later. The connection between Red Harvest and what's going on in that and Death Troopers and what's going on in that. I, I, I felt like there was a disconnect. I really want a middle book. Yeah, it does seem like there should be more room for expansion there. Let me ask you this, going back to that point that you and I were both sort of dabbling in about, you know, reanimation and whatnot. I guess the question would be whether or not it matters if they go through the process and give us an explanation. Like, I like the stuff, again, like the Resident Evils or like the Patient Zero or whatever, where they actually give you a reason behind why a zombie is being reanimated. Is it a virus? Is it a bacteria? I mean, even something like The Walking Dead, the television series and the comic, they don't so much tell you what it was that is reanimating people, but at least they explain fairly straightforwardly in the comic later on in the series, the, uh, the TV series, that it's not something where you get bitten and it's transmitted like a virus. It's not like becoming, say, a vampire. Instead, everybody is infected, and it's just a matter of getting a grievous enough wound that you die, and when you die, you will come back. Everyone will come back. There's a big issue right now in the current season, um, which, oddly enough, was not something addressed too much in a similar storyline in the comics as to, well, what if a baby is stillborn? Uh, could this baby come back while in the womb? as a zombie and that sort of thing which really kind of gets into the creepy areas but even then they give you at least a basic understanding of well everybody's infected and when you die it just sort of happens we don't know what we're infected by but it's at least something but then you've got stuff like uh you have the dream sort of nightmarish creatures literally in a nightmare um for zesh in dawn of the jedi force storm and then if you're playing the force unleashed 2 there's a point at which there's sort of like the dark side cave vision thing going on for Starkiller. And on the main, well, yeah, I say creepy. the main version, on the next gen version, uh, the, the one that's considered the official version or whatever, um, as you're walking through this cave, it's all done as essentially just a cutscene. You know, it's all pre rendered video. You're not actually doing anything. You just go into the cave, the video plays, you come out of the cave. Video plays, you're done. On the Wii version, you actually go into the cave and yeah. interact with these essentially zombie-ish versions of Starkiller, and it's really kind of creepy. But they never yeah, give you I any explanation. That, that was that was creepy as hell. I was, and I thought all of them had that. I thought that was actually a really nice thing about the Wii, and I forgot about that because I I've, I've constantly complained that that's the only game on my Wii I liked. But man, I really liked that game on the Wii. But in those cases, it's all, I mean, it's all vision-based, it's dream-based kind of stuff. It's not something they give you a yeah. reason for because it's just, it's just part of the nightmare. Do you feel like when they do something like this that we need an answer? Like we know a little bit about the Imperial Project Blackwing. We know about the Murakami Orchid a little bit, that sentient plant in Red Harvest. But they don't give us a whole lot of detail other than just that quick, brief explanation. Do we need significantly detailed explanations to make zombies believable? Or does that undermine it or is it some delicate balance between the two I, 
I think we need it. Um, I mean, granted, there is a delicate balance. You don't have to have it all. I mean, I think for me with, with the disconnect between the two books, it's more I want to know how the later one developed from the first one and how Palpatine found it. But when the I think about the overall question, it's one of those things where – pardon me. It's one of those things where when I think about it, I think you have to have at least – an explanation as to why this is going on now whether it's like say a virus thing or say uh you know it's a species thing that that you know one species started it all and and from there it mutated off or a mutation or even a, a planet like maybe you go down to this one planet and if you die down there you're going to come back and as long as you're on that planet that body will be just a zombification thing i mean they they could come up with anything but i i do think that you got to explain it. it. It can't be something that's just like, oh, it's just a zombie. You know, I mean, if, if it's just something that is in the Star Wars universe, I think it kind of loses that edge. I don't know. It, it, it's difficult to say. It's it's one of those things that for me, it's like I, I I see it like the way it happened in Death Troopers. But when I think about how Red Harvest worked out, man, I really enjoyed that book. So, you know, it, the mystery for me is part of the excitement. So it's like if you don't get those little details of how it came to be that there's you miss out on that i that's how i feel anyway yeah it kind of feels as though with star wars you're, we're running that fine line because you know with expanded universe stuff with continuity in general we tend to want answers on most things we talked before about you know we want answers on certain things they just leave it uh invasion i'm looking at you um you know where they just kind of cut off a story and you're wanting that fulfillment you're wanting that backstory you're wanting that continuation i almost feel like when it comes to zombies or anything like that whether it's zombies uh werewolves but of course we have the schistavan and all that kind of stuff now uh, or say vampires though we do have the anxiety uh there almost needs to be a reason for why there's also, it's there. Oh, there's uh, vampires real fast. Another one I saw was an energy vampire. Right, right. We do have the energy, uh, which was, oh shoot, I forget what her name was. It was in the old uh, uh, comic strip, if I remember right. Uh, the And it was referenced again in that uh, Luke Skywalker biography book. Uh, but it's like we need the reasons behind them. Because if we don't have reasons, it almost feels like a cop. It almost feels like Star Wars selling out, right, as if that's possible at this point given the sheer breadth and scope of everything uh, and the ways that it's been used to make money um, it's almost like Star Wars selling out to say oh there's a zombie trend we need to do zombie books you would almost expect that at some point Star Wars is going to do a vampire series just because that's a big thing right now at least if they give us some actual backstory to it limit the scope of where these zombies are or what they could be to just a series of small stories and give us a reason for why not only is this happening but why it won't continue. Like, for instance, the fact that you couldn't take the death troopers, troopers, the, the zombie troopers, too far from the source of the infection. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to survive anyway. So it's not like you're worried about a galaxy-wide infection here, at least not in the big scope of things. This can be something that can be just left there dead and just never be gone back to. Space is gigantic. No big deal. Maybe nobody Quarantine. else runs across the ship again. Exactly. So... It almost feels like they need to protect the integrity of the continuity when they introduce things like this that are much more like uh, based on other genres of stories as a way of making sure that they're not seen as doing the gimmick. Because a lot of people bash Death Troopers like crazy when it was first being released as a gimmick. But, you know, I think Schreiber is... You know, he did a fairly good job with it, aside from the whole Han and Chewie thing. With both of these books, he did a fairly good job of giving us sort of the fear aspect, plus giving us something that at least felt 
Star Wars in terms of the conventions used, the weapons used, the technology used. Uh, and you got to love books where each chapter has a title, and the titles sometimes are creepy or bizarre in and of themselves, <laughs> and you don't realize the meaning till it's done. Like in uh, in Red Harvest, we had a chapter called Flesh Blizzard. That by itself just conjured up images. You go, whoa, and just kind of uh, step back. So I don't know. It's, it's an odd thing when you try to introduce something that is not a Star Wars staple into Star Wars, especially at a time when whatever that is, in this case zombies, is such a big pop cultural thing that you could be seen as you know, gimmicky. Yeah, it's it's funny though because like when you think about you know Korriban, but you know they they've had Sith zombies on Korriban guarding their catacombs for the longest of time. So you know I I originally when I when I heard they were going to do a zombie story set in Star Wars, I thought they were going to do something along that line. And when they did Red Harvest, I you know they they were close to that, but they they did it a little different. I mean it was on a it was on an academy world like Korriban, but it was far off and you know it was kind of like remote and so you know it was all contained that was a good story if you've watched the movie taken we have the line right from there uh liam neeson line when he tells the guy you know i'm good at my skill my job when that jedi said that i was just like yeah this is awesome some people knocked that too but you know to me that was like an awesome homage i mean there were some really creepy moments in that book i mean we had the the uh the tauntauns with the <laughs> bodies with their bodies have been eaten open and stuff and then we had uh that netty the netty librarian when that thing turned man that was so creepy yeah there are a lot of really good creepy kinds of moments and there were points at which you weren't quite sure who was going to die because you jumped between so many point of view characters in red harvest that any one of them could die after you've invested some time into them i mean that's part of what made it unpredictable uh, i do agree that the the creepy moments, like the zombie tauntauns, were just bizarre. I mean, it even made up for the fact that we had, you know, a, a an alien hunter, uh, Tolk, I believe was his name, who was very hard sort of for me to get my, my brain around the Whippet, um, no, Whippet Good, to get my, my mind around <laughs> picturing him all the time. They actually do a really good job on page 15 of the Essential Reader's Companion of giving us an image of Tolk fighting one of these Tauntauns where it's not only a Tauntaun, but the Tauntaun apparently ate another zombie or ate a Sith because inside the rib cage you see this other zombie inside the uh, uh, yeah. uh, the Tauntaun. It's been a while since I've checked it out, but I remember that, that sort of stood out to me. Um, I do find it interesting... You mentioned the thing about how it's sort of self-contained being on Odessa or Faustin as opposed to being on somewhere like Korriban. So it could be a story that doesn't have to affect a bunch of other stuff. What I found interesting was the choice for Red Harvest of the time period. Now, with Death Troopers, they put it in this time period that's pretty much chock full of different uh, just pre-A New Hope type stories where it's a question of how do you make this all fit Especially with Han and Chewie being involved, it becomes an even bigger issue because you got to find a way to make them fit with these other books that have been around for a while, plus all these like random comic stories. And then you've got uh, the Fire Ring Race or whatever it was that that uh, uh, recently released Young Reader series. It seems like it never got back off the ground. I mean, there's there's all these different early, just before A New Hope stories for Han and Chewie. So fitting it in there felt odd. But at least it gave us a reason for, you know, it to be in the rebellion era, to have stormtroopers, to have the Empire involved. And if you were going to get Han and Chewie involved, yeah, you should probably, as a dog barks outside, perhaps a zombie dog. Zombie dogs see, according to a, a Resident Evil 6. Uh, maybe they were doing it because they thought, well, at least in this case, we can have Han and Chewie without having them have to somehow get the other characters involved. At least in this case, it makes it self-contained enough to be their adventure, not a... 
you know, big three type of adventure. With Red Harvest, he really went all out in the sense of giving us something set in the Old Republic era, but it makes me wonder if the reason it was there was more because of how it could be isolated and the fact that at least it would give an explanation for why there would be a planet full of Sith, as opposed to it being something where, you know, it needed to connect to anything else. Uh, one of our, our site visitors over on Facebook, whose name is pronounced, I hope I'm getting this right, is it Kurzestoff Keitzman, I believe, um, is one of our, our listeners. And when I first mentioned that the next thing we'd be recording would be talking about Death Troopers and Red Harvest, he made the comment about how, you know, it shows up in the Old Republic era, but it really doesn't need to. It affects absolutely nothing. I mean, literally, this book exists in a vacuum in almost every respect in the Old Republic era. I have to wonder if, like I said, the only reason they set it in that era was so they could have a planet of Sith instead of, say, a planet of Jedi or something like that. Did you see any reason for this book to be in the Old Republic era other than something like that, just in terms of giving them an excuse for Sith? I saw little to no connection to anything else. I, I saw specifically that. I mean, like I said, I, I originally thought they were going to put it on Korriban for that reason because that's the only time when, – when I originally thought you know, zombies, that's the time frame I thought of because that's what I remember seeing in comics and the games and stuff like that where they came about. And it was one of those things where – they weren't denied, you know, it wasn't like, well, we're going to pretend that, you know, it's just game mechanics, you know, but it was actually used and ran with in some of the other things. I mean, you know, I mean, think about the old tales of the Jedi with the one guy, uh, the Sith that had just a head. He was just a head in a jar. <laughs> I do remember that, although, you know, with I guess you can sort of assume with the Sith that with the whole idea of like dark magics and such, as opposed to just being dark side force use, that you've got angles like that. And you can create creatures, you can mutate creatures and all that kind of stuff. I mean, even the idea of the dark side Leviathans is now back in the pages of Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral yeah. all over again. So, I mean, I guess it, it, it makes sense that if you were going to do that, maybe it's more believable also in the context of the well, Sith. That, Plus the Sith... It, it's against their nature to help each other. One thing I really did like about Red Harvest is, you know, if this was a planet full of Jedi, oh no, zombies are coming. We must work together to stop yeah. them, and we must be at peace with the idea of dying. And yet here, it's Sith who are, by their nature, generally competitive with each other, having to sometimes rely on each other to survive. And when they don't, they die. And sometimes even when they do, they die, and that erodes the trust that's slowly being built between these characters, making it harder for them to survive along the way. I do think that choosing to make it among the Sith, as opposed to just about any other society, was great for Red Harvest. I mean, it really gave us something that was different than what we tended to see. I mean, we, yeah, we had a couple of Jedi in there, but the Jedi was involved, really, we had the Agricor girl, and then we had her brother, and the whole idea was really to have them be why the Sith get their hands on the Murakami Orchid to actually create this plague, so to speak, in the first place. Though, we still don't know how this, again, gets into Sith hands, though you got to figure it goes through, you know, Darth Plagueis's different records passed on to Palpatine or Sidious about all the, you know, the early experiments with the Sith. That seems like something right up their alley. And then, of course, it winds up eventually being part of the Black Wing project and then winds up on the Imperial ship Bulimia. Excuse me, Purge. <laughs> Bulimia. <laughs> We're going to get nasty letters for that one, but that's okay. Uh, so, you know, one one thing that you'd said earlier that, that I thought was interesting was uh we talk about the clone wars when the night sisters did their magic you know you'd mentioned it as, as a force use and 
I, I perceived it as such too, but they were very specific to say that it was magic and it was slightly different. Now, when you were talking about these older Sith, you talk about their alchemy and, and their magic. And, and it definitely leads me to wonder if the older Sith, the ones that, that did practice the alchemy and the magics and stuff, had you know a little more to offer than the Sith you see later. You know, even even Palpatine. I mean, if if these guys were able to create monsters and stuff, it, is it more through the Force and their alchemy, or is it more the magic side of things, like what, what the Dathomiri witches are, or if like how I I tend to think of it, it's all kind of Force based to a degree. Just the witches' magic is another avenue. Well, I mean, I would argue that the magic thing is. I mean, it's tied into Force. I mean, if you're going to have something like the Force in Star Wars, then it needs to be tied into stuff like that. Otherwise, you've got too many mystical energy fields out there. I mean, I would even say yeah. stuff like what we see with the uh, – I mean, what we see it with Charles, who has now been said to be using a shape-shifting amulet, I think it was, uh, from the Night Sisters to be able to change shape in Ewoks' the Battle of Endor. And we have the Ewoks using magic in their cartoon series and in the comics and in uh, Caravan of Courage and such. So I would say it's probably tied in. But I think this actually, you know, you bring up a point that is actually being brought up by one of the characters, I won't say who, in Lost Tribe of the Sith Spiral, at least till we talk about that as a specific episode. But we have essentially an old-time Sith, a Sith Empire-type Sith, in fact, a, a Sith Empire early on-type Sith, like, like from the Hundred Year Darkness-type Sith, um, who is making the comment, essentially, that the Sith of the Lost Tribe have lost what it means to be a Sith, not just in terms of their society, but in terms of their knowledge of using the dark side. And it kind of makes you wonder if it's not so much the different eras of Darksiders that we see that it's, well, there's different you know traditions of it so much. It's almost like the teachings have been watered down. Like it starts out perhaps much more like magics, and by the time it gets to Palpatine, it is much more essentially a more refined uh using of the Force itself as a tool, as opposed to using the Force to create something that will be your tool, like a monster, like a Leviathan, now it's literally, you know, I will use it almost like the Jedi would, kind of like it's gone full circle. You know, they start as Jedi, they fall to the dark side, they get banished, and they do the really, really heavy, heavy dabbling, although they did some dabbling before being banished in the first place, and then eventually it comes right back around out of the magics and creatures into much more of a Dark Jedi sort of thing by the time we get to Palpatine. Although, we do have that story, I believe it was in Visionaries, where, or maybe it was Tales, I think it was Visionaries, so where Palpatine is essentially calling up like a Cthulhu-type monster that he winds up uh, devouring as part of something to make himself stronger and such. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it completely out of consideration. But it seems as though the Sith, the Sith have really gone through a, you know, sort of an evolution of their own that... Something like this, maybe it wouldn't have made sense if it had even been – I mean, maybe this could have been a planet full of people working for Dooku you know, in the Clone Wars who wind up wiping themselves out with this plague or something. They'd have to explain why it doesn't infect the rest of the galaxy during the Clone Wars or something. But it, it's like with this Sith, at least you've still got elements of that heritage there. So it makes sense for them to be dabbling in the alchemy and such more so than, say, you know, Darth Bane on forward or Darth Ruin on forward for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things where when I stop and I think about it, it's like there were a lot of really cool things about how they went about these projects. You know, Death Troopers, they, they gave us those little letters that came out before it. The the cover was a little different. Uh, Red Harvest, they gave us two different covers of it. But when I stop and I think about how these Sith are working and they're doing their stuff, you know, I, 
I just I, I'm trying to think which one was it Hardwood. Which one was the one that was the main student, uh, the 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 rising star, like the first, the prime. Um, Lusk, right? Lus- Lusk. Uh, yeah, Rance Lusk. Yeah. Yeah, Lusk. When Lusk gets into the cafeteria and all the zombies, all hell is breaking loose. And he sits there and he holds his arms out and he's standing up on the tables and he's just like letting them eat him because he thinks he's going to gain all this power. And when he realizes what's going on and has that momentary bang, that was such a cool scene. But I wanted to ask you though, Nathan, I mean, it, the way I recalled in Red Harvest it going was uh, – the girl, God, I really should have that page open. Zoe, Zoe, is it Zoe? Yeah, Zoe. She was the uh, hornicultural chick over at the Jedi Academy or Jedi Temple, and she was kind of like bonded with the with the flower. And the flower was semi sentient, correct? Yes. Okay, so then Darth Scabrous, he ends up taking it and kind of, in a sense, like, I, I can't remember the whole process, but basically we'll just say he, he puts it in a blender and makes it a liquid, and it's, like, trapped in the liquid, like, totally freaking the frack out, right? I mean, that's how I recall it going down. Honestly, it's been a while. I, I remember he's experimenting on it and, and essentially is losing control of it. I do remember it becoming – there was a liquid form at some point. I don't recall if that was his final step in the process, though. Yeah, because that's that was the part that that was weird for me. That was where I had that disconnect because it was like by the time come Death Troopers in the timeline perspective, you know, once I'd finally read it, I was trying to put the two together, and that's where I I really feel we we need to have a third book, you know, something maybe about Palpatine where he discovers that secret. I mean, there's so many things that Palpatine discovers along the way that would just make some great books, and and you know when I think about how it was used in Death Troopers. I remember it being kind of like lungs that were filling up with the fluid and, and they had the lungs kind of like in a bath constantly screaming. And, and I just – I can't for the life of me after reading both these books figure out how one correlates to the other and yet they're supposed to. And that for me was really hard to swallow was the how they're supposed to aside from it being a black liquid. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. And then we had that game pop up with the, you know, the black wing crystal and I'm like, you know, I didn't play those games, but I, it was very curious to me to see that the game actually was going to continue on that line. And then on top of it all, it's in Dathomir, you know, where we have all the source, all this magic. And it's like, hmm, you know, are, who's seeding these stories? You know, I mean, sometimes you get these really cool stories that take place in role playing games and, and, uh, and you know, things that, that are just so obscure. And you're just like, man, I want to see that. Where's the book that's in? And it's nowhere. It's just like, who? You know, sometimes it's Abel, uh, Penna, you know, there's just some great minds out there and they're doing this stuff. It's like, man, where is this stuff? I, and, and that's one of the things I just have that disconnect, man. I can't figure out how one correlates to the other. It just drives me nuts. And I know somebody out there has the answer because it, it's showing up like it did these little hints, you know, in the game. It's like somebody's got that story. Uh, see, I don't know if somebody does have the idea of how it actually connects together. It seems to me almost as though they do it um, kind of as a well, we'll figure it out and fill in the blank at some point later, maybe sort of thing. Like, they want it to be at least a vague tie-in, but not a specific tie-in. Granted, that leaves Joe Schreiber 
with more chances to go in and write something else, which would be cool. I hope that the sales numbers on these books actually justify that. Certainly the sales numbers of Death Troopers justified Red Harvest. Uh, maybe they will get a chance to it uh, to do it again. Well, but I, speaking I don't know. of that real fast, I, I recall when Red Harvest came out, they practically almost gave you half the book in free uh, chapters. I remember a lot of people were really irked by that. They were like, well, what's the point? And it's like, well, the point is it's a good story, and they're trying to hook as many people as possible. You don't have to read it. And for me, that was when I personally stopped reading most of the uh, previews that they would give us because it was like, okay, I'm just ruining these books for me. By the time I got them, I knew I was going to get it. You know, For me, it was like, okay, these aren't aimed at me anymore. I'm going to get it regardless. I know that. They know that. So why am I bothering to read this and then complain six months later that I know half of this stuff already? And it was one of those things where I, I, mean, I haven't looked at the numbers, but you know, did it or didn't it? I mean, we do know the Death Troopers did pretty good, but they also had that marketing campaign where they let the fans make the videos. I mean, they should have done the same thing with Red Harvest, man. That would have been such a cool thing. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, they've gone dark before. That story I was thinking of was out of Visionaries. It's called Synthesis. I had to go and and, and look it up because I couldn't recall the name ah. of it. I mean, they've done the dark stuff previously, but give us something that ties these together, but do something that is. You know, along the lines of Red Harvest, something that is very self-contained in terms of the society you're dealing with. And maybe do something new. I mean, there's so many different angles you could take to do something to build upon this. I mean, I would love to see – I mean, okay, yeah, we've got to have probably a pre-existing character or someone who might be a pre-existing character or, or, or tie into one of them in order to get it into Imperial hands. You could make it a new character to get it for the Imperials, but chances are they're, they'd probably want to do something that ties in, like somebody we know – worked with Palpatine at some point, for instance. So why not someone either like or, in actuality, someone who would be like Jarek? You know, Jarek from Jedi Knight, who we know worked with Palpatine at one point. We see him in the Dark Forces novels. We see him actually on a ship commanded by Thrawn. Heck, you could have a Timothy Zahn come in and write part of it, because you know he can't write a story that doesn't tie into one of his pre-existing characters, uh, except, although I will say, I will say, um, Scoundrels, which actually turned out to be very, very good and avoided a lot of the pitfalls Zahn usually gets into. Uh, but do something with, say, Jarek. I mean, imagine you've got a Jedi or a dark Jedi in this case who has no sense of sight. So think about the, the horror possibilities of someone who is effectively blind from our perspective who would be hearing and smelling things and sensing them through the Force as his way of experiencing this zombie outbreak. You know, it gives us another perspective to take this from. I mean, I'd like to see this from the perspective of any type of other unusual, oddball type of character. You know, I mean, give us a force-linked group of people where they feel each other's pain as one of them is being eaten away or something like that. Uh, give us some, <laughs> give us some other zombies. Or you know what? Take this out into space. Right? We have. Okay, the, the aptly named Purge Prison Barge, because, you know, they are going to purge it of all life and they want to get rid of the zombies aboard. And they have the Star Destroyer, the, the uh, you could say, the, the vector of bringing the plague, this zombie plague, to other worlds, which is named freaking Vector. Okay, Vector is a, a source of infection or a, a passageway of infection. Um, have the Vector be swallowed by a space slug. Have a zombie space slug out there or something. You know, we know there's tons of them out there because we saw them in the Knights of the Old Republic games. Have have that be a way of spreading infection 
And you, that way you can have, like, space battles with zombie creatures. You can have the more, more personal stories. You can have the infection get aboard ships while they're in flight by being bitten or something and wind up with it somehow spreading through its breath or whatever it would be in space, like its, it's saliva or whatever. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what directions they could take with it as long as they keep it contained enough to not necessitate some big reason why this didn't become a bigger thing in the Star Wars universe. But at the same time, you know, if they need to connect it with other characters like he did with Death Troopers to make it feel like it's going to connect with other tales, you know, pick characters like a Jarek or whoever who have something that would make them uniquely suited for that type of horror. You know, Han and, uh, and Chewie just kind of felt like they were there just because, well, they were available. You know, give us someone who makes sense. You know, we had Zoe in Red Harvest. She made sense. Hesti Zoe Trace. Be, or, yeah, Trace. Because she was someone who was a botanist, and we're seeing that the source is that Murakami Orchid. Okay. She has a reason to be there. The hunter there has a reason to be there. Han and Chewie, not so much. Just kind of felt like they were thrown in. Give us something that heightens Prisoners. <laughs> they happen to be locked in a box. Well, the prisoners, but I mean, we got the doctor. I mean, we have uh, uh, Zahara, I believe is how you pronounce her name. She was a great character to have in there, Zahara Cody, because, you know, she could look at this from a medical perspective in that case. I mean, a lot of times, whether or not you can sell a supernatural story, whether it's zombies or vampires or werewolves or whatever, is the perspective upon which other characters who are your point of view characters look at the situation. To have her in there looking at it from a medical situation worked great give yeah. us something else that is an unusual perspective and we'll buy it you know we'll check it out we'll get into I, it heck at as, as exciting as it is now for people i haven't actually seen the appeal myself but as exciting as it is now for like call of duty to have call of duty zombie add-ons all the time when you give us star wars 1313 give us a zombie dlc an infinity style dlc where the main characters are fighting their way through a zombified level of coruscant there's all kinds of ways they could add more tie-ins to this if they're willing to go in a direction that's more about creativity than it is about let's tie it into other stuff because that's where the danger lies i think well, if I recall correctly, when when the book ends for Death Troopers, Vector's still floating, drifting in space. I mean, I always kind of envisioned if that thing crashed on a planet, that planet is totally doomed. I mean, <laughs> you're not getting away from that thing if it crashes on a planet, as long, and they're dead. So it's not like, oh, they all died and burned up in the ship as it crashed. Nah, if any of them's left, I mean, you're going to be hosed in a matter of time. That. The sightless people, though, that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about that, but, man, when you described that, that just gave me chills. I was like, man, you could do a lot with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, or zombified crate dragons or something, or uh, zombified, what do they call them, Rupings, these new flying creatures on Onderon that we got with the Clone Wars in this uh, Onderon arc. You know, I mean, you can't overdo it. You don't want to saturate the Star Wars marketplace with zombies, but... I think the fact that they've told a lot of zombie or zombie-like stories previously has not overloaded Star Wars with zombies. I mean, a lot of times when there's a gimmick, you see it saturate that story, and you're finally like, okay, enough is enough. How many times can we see a battle leading up to the Battle of Kashyyyk in Episode 3? Okay, we got it. How many times can we see Han get the money to pay back Jamba and then lose the money to pay back Jamba? How many times do we have to supposedly see the Death Star plans getting found? Um, and then, of course, there's the oh, now we're able to use Jedi, so let's have Jedi uh, all over the place because now we've opened up the Clone Wars era and such. I mean, there's plenty of ways that you could oversaturate 
a marketplace, uh, especially as a, a particular franchise in the marketplace. But Star Wars has avoided it because all these other, at least for the most part, all these other zombies until the last few years, I mean, they've pretty much been localized to these small stories, Star Wars Tales, Galaxy of Fear. They're not the mainstream stories. Now, though, you know, we've got Death Troopers and Red Harvest, but it's been a little while since Red Harvest, and it was a little while between those two. Uh, yeah, we just got the brainworm-type stuff going on on Geonosis, and we got the, the undead army of the Night Sisters last season and the previous, I guess it was season two, um, of the Clone Wars, sure. But, you know, even you know the most staunch supporter of the Clone Wars cartoon of EU fans, you know, still see a difference between EU and Clone Wars cartoon. So certainly, you know, the fact that it's appeared fairly recently in a Clone Wars cartoon doesn't mean it's necessarily too saturated if you were to go with another novel or comic series with it. I mean, it, they got to play it safe. I mean, again, it's a, that delicate balance thing. But I think, you know, we're heading towards a time where we should see something else along these lines. Or at least let Schreiber, uh, Schreiber, I keep saying Schreiber with a V, let Schreiber do another Star Wars horror story. You know, we've proven now with these two books that the genre can work with Star Wars. So let it loose. You know, bring him back to do something else. And if you're not sure when to put it, because you don't know, you don't want it clashing with other continuity, put it in some far-flung era that we've not heard very much about. Heck, throw him in during Costaspex's Crusades from the Atlas or something, <laughs> or the Taiwanese Wars or something. But give us a chance to see more of this genre, because frankly, Star Wars storytelling sometimes can feel a little stale, because so often we wind up with stories that are vaguely similar or, you know, they kind of feel as though they're just in there to be in there sometimes. You know, like Fatal Alliance kind of felt like it was just kind of there to be there. Fun story, but in the end, who really cared? You know, it wasn't anything particularly yeah. unique in and of itself that could really get people excited because of what the book was was promised to be as opposed to what it is. Um, with these, people got excited for what they were promised to be. Star Wars horror. Let's try it again. Why not? Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I mean, I'd be okay even if, if they sent him right back to the end of Red Harvest and, and maybe a search team comes looking for the Jedi, you know, and they're looking for uh, Thrace or whatever his name was, and, and they stumble upon it and, hey, oh, whoops, we accidentally brought the plague off with us, you know. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do, especially right right there. I mean, as you laid out earlier, it in itself is its own era because there's nothing really touching it for like a couple, what, 100 years each direction. You know about Red Harvest? Yeah, Red Harvest. I mean, Red Harvest has the other, the Old Republic books circling around it and the Old Republic video game and comics, but it doesn't but really actively close. touch it. I mean, uh, it's, well, let's see, it's in, let's see, 3,645 BBY, right? So it's um, eight years after the Treaty of Coruscant, so it's about eight years after Deceived, it's about eight years after the uh, Treaty of Coruscant uh, comics that we had uh, as part of the Old Republic arc. It is still about another five years, apparently, until we reach the time of the game, because the Old Republic Encyclopedia seems to have nailed down the time frame of the game to the same time frame of, uh, uh, not Allegiance, of, uh, oh, Annihilation? Annihilation, yes. It's pinned it down to the same year as Annihilation. Annihilation is said to be in 3,640 BBY, and it references repeatedly it being almost two years since The Lost Sons. We were told that the Lost Sons is supposed to be running in parallel with the game. Apparently, that is no longer the case because the game now isn't running between uh, 10 years after the Treaty of Coruscant 
to about seven years after, or not seven years, 13 years after, uh, I went the wrong direction with that three. Um, instead, the game apparently is all taking place in 3,640, just like Annihilation. So Lost Sons is actually prior to the game. And not only that, but the, uh, the Fatal Alliance book is even more prior to the game than it looked like. It's not immediately prior now. It's like three years now prior to the game. Like, they've done all these things where they left the, the, the time frame so vague that now that they're finally starting to give answers, it seems as though those answers are leaving people scratching their heads like, really? This this was how it was meant to be initially? Are you guys sure? So, wow. I mean, it, it didn't touch anything much around it, but that isn't to say that there isn't other stuff that's going on around it. You know, they could very easily have perhaps tied this into the Great Galactic War or the Cold War in between or the Second Great Galactic War where things really kind of kicked back going during the video game leading into Annihilation and such, but... They purposely, or Schreiber, maybe the editors too, purposely chose to keep it mostly isolated, I think, to give it that sense of, you know, the horror aspect without having to have it really cram into anything else. Give us an era like that, or give us another story. I mean, you could set a story, you could set a zombie story in the exact same time frame as, say, Return of the Jedi, but set it in the unknown regions. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be a time period with nothing around it. It has to be a story that in and of itself doesn't have too many ripples. Otherwise, you have other continuity stuff to deal with. Put it on BIS. Let's let's have a whole story taking place in one section of Palpatine's cloning chamber where one of them goes rogue as a zombie and starts taking out the rest. <laughs> Palpa zombie. You don't know the power of the dark side. Man, you don't know the power of your zombie breath. It seems like something crawled up in you and died. Oh, wait, it was yourself. Okay, wait, that just sounded too wrong. Um, suffice to say, you know, I, I like the idea. Yeah, I mean, let's have more of this, but let's do it fairly sporadically. But it's been long enough since Red Harvest that I would love to see something else new coming, but it doesn't seem like it is. I mean, nothing in the publishing line that we've heard about so far leading into the next couple of years seems like it has, you know, a horror angle to it. I haven't heard anything about Schreiber himself coming back to Star Wars at this point. I'm, I'm hoping this isn't something they're just going to kind of drop, you know, but then again, you know, we know drop stuff can come back. I mean, it was over a decade for X-Wing, and then we got Mercy Kills. So, you know, I, I have hope that someday we'll see another Star Wars novel done as well as Red Harvest, avoiding the pitfalls of Death Troopers. I, I hope with you. I mean, I, I don't see it being dropped because I see it as a, a, a playbook page right from George Lucas's hands. I mean, think about it. He was doing – he gave us a Godzilla. He gave us a King Kong. I mean, he gave us an Alfred Hitchcock. He was throwing that kind of stuff at us left and right. And, you know, it, to me, it just seems like a win-win. Uh, and it's definitely one of those things where, you know, when they time it right and when they when they do their little promos and stuff, it, it's fun for the fandom. I mean, you know, people were getting into it as they got their little data bursty tweak kind of thing, you know, and – then you saw the videos and you had the contest and all that. There were some amazing videos for that, you know, and there was some really cool stuff. Uh, it, it's one of those genres that I will always enjoy. Um, I do agree that it, it's got to be something that's contained, self, you know, shuffled off, even if it's in the unknown regions, wild regions, doesn't matter. You can put it deep core. It, it's going to work. You know, you just got to have somebody who knows how to sell it. To me, I see it as an overall project. I saw Death Troopers as the, you know, the, uh, pilot episode if you will you know han and han and chewy they were there to get everyone who might not even touch this book through it uh after that red harvest was the okay we'll give you the green light just don't go too overboard he did a great job i'm ready for go overboard let's go nuts with this thing joe make me uh make me poodoo in my pants 
as long as it stays true to Star Wars and gives us horror, I am all about it. And I think zombies are a good way to do it. Uh, hopefully, they're not going to instead dive into something like, well, Twilight's being successful. True Blood is successful. Time for some more Star Wars vampires. And we'll have an Anzati uh, talking to someone who is there uh, to, on business and say, uh, Welcome to my home. Enter freely and of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. And all that, you know, very obvious Dracula reference type stuff. You know, let's, if you're going to do something that is in a genre, I think vampires, maybe not as close to Star Wars. Same thing with werewolves and that sort of thing. Zombies, hey, it's already there. It's been shown that it works. Give us more. Yep, I'm right there with you. It was 100% fun for me all the way around. And remember, you can find our show at www.starwarsreport.com, as well as on our Facebook page, iTunes, Zune, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. If you liked our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or the Zune Marketplace. Or you can just fire us off an email. You can email us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And be sure to interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at swbeyondfilms. So, once again, this has been Nathan Butler. And Mark Ann Whistler. Saying, Happy Halloween, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that you'll be getting candy this week. And the candy will turn you into a zombie. <laughs> and your family will be your candy. They've always, to a degree, had Sith zombies, you know, protecting the catacombs and that and the other thing. Look at an ice cream man out front. I should probably do that over again. Can you hear it? Just barely. Oh, okay, well. Well, he's going down the cul-de-sac, so he might be coming right back. Should I just wait or should I just keep going? I just go ahead and go. Okay. Okay.